Welcome to episode seven of the Soldiers of the Immaculate podcast. This recording is being done on Monday, February 12th, 2024, the Feast of the Seven Founders of the Servites of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most compassionate Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, O Virgin, O Virgins, our Mother. To thee we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful, O Mother of the Word incarnate. Despise our petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer them. A Lady of good success. Pray for us. St. Joseph. Pray for us. St. Francis. Pray for us. St. Pio. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Well, apologies for missing the cadence. Normally we record on Fridays, and episode 007 didn't exactly kill anything, but I felt horrible. I had the stomach flu. So uh, we're back on cadence a couple of days behind schedule, but we'll pick right back up where we were um, with the morning offering. Um, last we were left off, we were talking about invoking our saints. Yes, it's... Uh... You know, after we start once again, the Holy Trinity, then we go from that to the Blessed Virgin, then we talked about our angels and then the saints. And just saying, what an awesome gift God has given us in the church, the communion of the saints, that we have these saints in heaven that have the beatific vision, you know, because, you know, they're in heaven. They see God as he is and they they ran the race, they ran it well, and they were rewarded for it. And so, and like I said, there's many saints to encourage us in our particular vocations. And we all end up, I, I don't, I know they, they become such like, I don't want, you want to say almost great friends, you know, because you get such a, you have a relationship with them. I do. Uh, like I said, it, I'm a preacher. So I, I always pray to all the great Missionary saints, St. Vincent Ferreira, of course, St. Alphonse Liguori, St. Leonard Port Maurice, and go on and on and on. And, and they really help us. But, you know, when, when we're in trouble, too, we, we call on these saints, and uh, they're really powerful because, once again, their prayers are so powerful. Why? Because they've been purified. They are before the beatific vision, right before God. So it's like in the world, you know, like when we say uh, – you know, hey, can you, you, you know, anybody could get me a job, you know, this, you got some connections and, you know, it, there's an old saying in the world, it's not what you know, but who you know. And uh, there's a lot of truth to that, unfortunately, in this world. But it's still, it's nice to have friends in high places. And that's what the saints, they're, they're just awesome. And they, they challenge us if we're reading their biographies. That's why I always say before you go to bed, if you can keep a biography of a saint by your, by your bed and read even a, just a uh, chapter or a few pages, it's going to give you holy thoughts that night. And, and then, when, like I said, when we're in need, we call upon the saints. And a story comes to my mind of a really close friend of mine, uh, he he had seven children and he and his wife was pregnant with number eight and uh so she she was pregnant and she went for the uh what's it the two month uh uh sonogram test and they told that is said they said i'm sorry the doctor told her but the the sack is empty we, they got the pictures and all this this is this is an unbelievable story my friends and so she came home and her husband and they called me and they were, you know, they were really upset. They seven kids, but they, they realized children are blessing from God and, and they, they were crying and, and I shared in their, in their sorrow. It, 
And so I said to him, because he has a great devotion to many saints, but one saint particularly has done so many things for him with St. Rita of Cassia, and she's for the impossible. And he and somebody gave him a third-class relic of St. Rita. I said, listen, do what I tell you now. I said, go get the St. Rita relic, and both of you get on your knees, and they did. I said, I'm going to lead you in prayer. And I said, uh, put the... You know, bless your wife with the relic, put the relic on her womb, and let's pray to St. Rita. And so we did some prayers, and and I said, let's see what God does. So she had to go back two weeks later because that's the procedure, and they have to take another sonogram. And the doctor, the nurse, they were flipping out because the, the sack was clear. There was no baby. baby wasn't there. He has gone. And then there, she, we can't believe this. This is unbelievable. We've never seen this, but there's a baby, a 10-week-year-old baby, and uh, and that baby was born. He's healthy to this day, and so I, I, I kind of gave him the nickname of Lazarus, you know, raised from the dead. But this is the power of the saints before. Of course, God does the miracle, but the thing is, through the intercession of the saints, so really, really develop this uh, these relationship with the saints and and pray because, you know, they're not our slaves, this and that, but they they want us to get where they are. They 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 have all pure motives, all things. They have free will, you know. They're in heaven, but their will is one totally with God. They, it's perfect. So, so that's what I want to go on. And so the next thing I want to talk about this is just starting your prayer. And the other thing is too is in the morning. Then when you wake up like this, if you do that, you when you're praying to the saints and Our Lady. You should be praying to to help you overcome the your predominant vice that you're dealing with. Now, there's seven capital sins: pride, avarice, lust, sloth, gluttony, envy, and anger. And uh, one of those is prominent in your life. And so, all the great saints, all the great spiritual writers tell you the way to to, to uproot this vice is to to focus on your prominent vice. And, and this is really awesome so to, to do. You know, you focus on that because when you grow in one virtue, you grow in them all. So when, if you're struggling with pride, you're going to be praying that day to the Blessed Virgin. Please grant me the grace of humility uh, and, and be careful. When you pray that, you also better pray then if, it's, if it is pride that you, you have received the efficacious grace to accept the humiliations that God's going to send you because he will. And so some of those saints then that you should be praying with, like say, you know, was, uh, for instance, uh, St. Francis de Sales, he's known as the meek one because he, he had a vicious temper, a really bad anger he had to deal with. And and it, it took him, he said, like 30 years to get it under control. But he's known as the meek one. It's amazing, right? So man with so much anger that now he excels in the opposite virtue. So in this morning thing, you want to focus on that too. So help me, Blessed Mother, overcome my particular vice, which is whatever one it is. And then the other thing I recommend then at noontime, you should do before you uh, eat, lunch, say, uh, you should do a particular examination of conscience on your particular vice that you're trying to overcome. So you would examine your conscience you you call on our lady you call again on the saint you call on your guardian angel to help you examine your conscience and then if you 
if you've fallen, you you make a quick act of contrition, uh, you know, from the depths of your heart, and then you uh, and this is how you'll overcome these device. And then at night, you'll do before bed, you do a general uh, examination of conscience on not only that any sin that you committed during the day. So that's it. So can I interject for a second? Sure. So a couple of things you were talking about, uh, the patron saints talking about, uh, people, saints who are your patrons, but what about saints who are local to you? Isn't, isn't there a special efficacy that comes to saints that are local to you? And, and this is something that something that really occurred to me, um, several years ago, I lost, um, a baby and she was only with us for less than a year. And when, when we buried her, I realized for the first time, much to my chagrin, she's buried in the, a section of the cemetery that's called the, the, the little heaven section. Everyone who's buried there was born, baptized, and then died before they attained the use of reason. And at any, at any Catholic cemetery, anywhere you are, you've got local saints to where you are right now. And yeah, like you said, it's not who, who, what you know, but who you know. And it also depends on where you know these people. I mean, if I'm trying to get a programming job and all, everyone I know is in, in the Silicon Valley and I'm trying to get a job in, in Poughkeepsie, New York, that's not going to do me much good unless I run into somebody who is from Silicon Valley. But if I make friends with people locally in Poughkeepsie, that's going to help more. And so, you know, go, go pray to your local saints. They're right there in your local cemetery. Yeah, it's, it's great advice. And like I said... We, you could keep on developing this and same thing with the angels. Like every town has an angel, you know, every state has an angel, every country has an angel. And especially in these wicked times that we're living in, we need the protection of our angels, not just our guardian angels, but the angels as a whole is legions of them. And we want to, uh, you want them to intercede for us that, like I said, you have one angel for your town, for the state, for the whole country and you know it's powerful powerful stuff and and what what uh max was just saying too um i'm sure the pain is very deep when you lose a, a baby like that the, the the great thing of well, that baby never had a chance to lose uh her soul you know that baby then dies baptized goes straight to heaven it's amazing it's, it's it really is amazing and you know more talk these things just don't mind if we go on to other things a little because it's reminding me of a story uh you know we have a lot of stories i'm going to be a priest 25 years uh, i was uh, in new york and a friend called me he was a police officer it was a blizzard outside and i had no car and he said hey can my friend my partner he was a police officer like i said his partner's son was dying i said Oh, I said, he goes, can you come and uh, give the baby last rice? But the baby was three years old, had a rare disease, which I forgot, which the baby didn't grow for very little. It grew. So it still looked like, he still looked like a baby. And uh, I said, well, I can't, you can't anoint the baby like that because they have no sin, actual sin. They, they, the original sin, they, the baby was baptized when it was born emergency. And what happened is uh, they were supposed to go back to get the baptism uh, rituals uh, complete. You go, that's what happens if there's an emergency baptism. You just baptize it with the water, name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. But then if the baby survives, you, you, you go to the church and the rest of the ceremony is completed. 
And unfortunately, the priests didn't want to deal with them. And so unfortunately, mother and father left the church. They were very angry at the church. So I said, sure, I'll go out there. I said, I can, because the baby was only three years old. I said, uh, I could confirm the baby though right away. And, uh, and you'd be shocked how many priests don't even know these things. And, uh, so I got out there and never forget, it was a bad blizzard and go down these steps. And it was a image stuck in my head to this day. There was a big crib and the father, he was over six foot big guy. And he was in the crib just holding his baby. The baby was in a coma, by the way. Uh, the mother was a nurse and, uh, it was the saddest thing to see this father, you know, just weeping for his son. And he knows the son's dying. And uh, so I said, uh, you know, so I confirmed them. I said, what, uh, what what name would you want? They said Anthony. So I confirmed them, Anthony. And, uh, and I said to him, I said, what do you think would happen if I put a drop of water on his tongue? And they said, why? I said, uh, well, I want to just see something because she said he's, he's, he's so dehydrated. We'll probably just, so I put a drop of water on his tongue and it, so I said, okay. So I brought my mask kit with me and I offered the holy sacrifice of the mass for the baby. His name was Tyler. And uh, I offered the mass and then when it came time, it, uh, I gave him one drop of the precious blood. So right before the mass, the parents said to me, you know, Father, we would do anything if we know God's taken him and we accept that. Uh, but if he would just look at us one more time and smile, that would mean so much. I said, will you pray, pray for that? And God says, I'll give you a heart's desire. Pray for that. And I said, so when I went over to the bed, I had my chalice. I gave him a drop of precious blood. He was out cold in a coma. And just like she said, it absorbed in his tongue instantly. And, the mother and father were at the edge of the, at the crib, and no, no exaggeration. This kid woke up. He lit up like a Christmas tree. He had the most beautiful smile. He looked like a little angel. It, it brings me joy just talking about it. And uh, he just looked, and he smiled. He had the biggest smile, looking directly at his mother and father. It lasted a good minute, I'd say, at least. And then he closed his eyes, and and then uh, the next day he passed. But but the thing, so why did I want to give him so confirmation? You want that because it completes your baptism. It gives him a high place in heaven, and then that he had the Eucharist, that gives him the highest place. But because you can't merit, and when you're under under uh, under the age of reason, but the thing is, so this so this kid now he has a much higher place in heaven because he was confirmed. He did receive the Eucharist, and that's why I couldn't give him the host, of course, but when you receive one species, both species are present, and so he received the precious blood. And so that kid, he's up there, and every time I tell this story, I tell him to pull a few strings for me. I'm sure he's praying for me. But it's just beautiful, beautiful stuff that we got to know. And you, it's good to hear these stories because if you're in a particular situation like this, you've got to know, hey, whether it's your child, a friend's child, is a baby been confirmed? Has a baby received the Eucharist? And and that's why I brought my mask kit with me because I said I want to do everything I could get this kid as high up as possible. There's no way the baby could lose his soul. He's going straight to heaven. That kid shot up like a rocket right up to heaven. But I, like I said, I never forget that smile on that kid. And those parents, guess what? They came back to the church. They came back to the church. God. It was a, it was a beautiful, beautiful experience.
that was the one thing talking about first communion. That was the one thing that my child couldn't do because of, of her condition. She couldn't reliably hold down anything. Um, and, and so uh, she was emergency baptized within seconds of birth. I did that. And then uh, the local uh, traditional priest gave her confirmation two days later and, and her condition somewhat stabilized. So she, we, we finished off the baptism ceremonies after that. And we definitely investigated whether or not it would be possible to do first communion for her, just one drop, like like you mentioned. Yeah. But her condition didn't allow for it because she would spit up at any particular time. And there was no warning to it. And yeah, we, there, and then you have to be careful because you don't with the precious blood. You don't want to, you know, it's splattering anyway. That's why I checked, uh, you know, with the water, one drop, and his tongue totally uh, absorbed it. So that's one good thing I say too about the Eastern right. And the Catholic Eastern Rite too, because they 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 give uh, at baptism they baptize, confirm, and give the Eucharist, which is I think it's it's a pretty good idea in my opinion. No, def- it definitely has its merits, and I can see the opposite point of view as well. But uh, and 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 maybe as as time comes gets more evil, maybe that's a better idea. I don't know. Not not my call. Yeah, it's good. It's good that you know these things. So, like, if you're in a particular situation, like I said, sometimes the local priest won't say anything. Or now you know. You say, "No, I want my baby confirmed. I want my baby, you know, uh, you know, uh, to receive the Eucharist too." And the and and if it's possible, a good priest will come. And like I said, I, I wasn't going to bring the precious blow with me to the. Because you don't travel with the precious, but you could carry a pix with a with the host. But so, gave him the best thing. Ever. Yeah, Holy Sacrament had the Trinity Mass right there. It was it was uh, what a what a privilege. So now I want to talk about too. Like I said, so the greatest thing is the sacrifice of the Mass. It's the highest form of prayer. There's nothing. It is the, the sacrifice of the Mass. Is the sacrifice of Christ. The same sacrifice, uh, uh, but in a unbloody mystical matter you know where the when the priest a valid priest offers that mass and he consecrates the host and the chalice it truly becomes the body blood soul divinity of jesus and this is awesome the sacrifice and there is there's no greater gift that you could have especially if you could go to the daily sacrifice of the mass it totally totally not blow you away uh, it changes your life, you know, it changes everything. And the graces that you receive at Mass, even if you don't receive the Holy, the Blessed Sacrament, say, uh, if you, you, you receive just tons of graces from being participating in the Holy Sacrifice in the Mass. But thank God, the St. Pius the 10th lowered the age of, uh, to receive communion to seven. And there's a beautiful story of uh, I think it's her name was called Little Little Nelly of Holy God. It's what a beautiful story. I recommend you could still get that book out there. We'll list it. And uh, it's, it's a little girl in Ireland. She was an orphan, and it's uh, powerful. And then it helped uh, convince Pius Saint Pius the Tenth to lower the age of reason uh, to lower the age to receive. But this is truly, it's because it's primarily at the Mass, the Holy Sacrifice, that graces for salvation are distributed, are distributed. And so I think the problem is that most people don't understand the Mass. And, uh, you know, most people, you know, I heard a priest many years ago when I first came back to the church and it resonated. He said, you know, 
the guy was from England. He said, if, you know, it's like when I came over here, they took me to a football game and they were like, well, how'd you like it? And he said, I, I didn't, under, I don't even know what the game's about. I don't under, I didn't understand it. So I didn't, no, I didn't enjoy it. So it was explained to him how the rules are, this and that, what, what happens in a football game. And then, then he ended up loving the game. He's the same thing, you know, ignorance as St. Thomas Aquinas says is not bliss. And so we want to study about the holy sacrifice of the mass, and we want to, uh, and and more important than to uh, to really go if possible. Now I know some people can't go to the mass every day, and if you're in that particular situation, then the the best thing I would say is to start doing spiritual communions throughout the day. Saint Alphonse has a beautiful formula for that. Uh, it goes like this: It goes, "My Jesus." Uh, I believe you are present in the Blessed Sacrament. Since I can't receive you now sacramentally, come at least spiritually in my heart. And then you pause, and then you pick it up again. I embrace you as one who has already come, and I unite myself entirely to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. And just uh, it's a beautiful prayer. And the more, and now you could do a shorter one than that too. Just you know, but when you start doing spiritual communions. You're gonna be on fire for the Eucharist, on fire to receive Christ, and uh, and and it will really give you a great desire, and you'll understand you enter deeper and deeper and deeper into the mystery, of the holy sacrifice of the Mass, and we all want to, and we can never learn enough, we can never understand enough, and it is a mystery, the greatest mystery, that Christ loves us, that He comes and takes flesh, and we eat His flesh, we drink His blood. It is so powerful. But if you go every day, you will become a saint. St. Teresa of Avila tells us uh, that it only takes one Holy Communion to make a saint. So how come we don't have a lot of saints? And, and she's very clear. She goes, because we don't prepare enough, and then we don't uh, have a proper Thanksgiving. So the saints always spent half their day preparing for the Eucharist and the, the other half of the day making Thanksgiving. And so when you live like this, you you just anticipate in that next mass and this and that, but you have to study. So there's a book and we're listed called The Hidden Treasure by St. Leonard of Port Maurice. It is such a powerful book. I highly recommend it. It's not a big one, so don't get intimidating. Uh, recommend it highly. And in that book, I never forget one story. It always stuck in my mind. There was two farmers. Their land butted up to each other. And uh, one farmer was poor, and the other one was very wealthy. So one day the poor farmer says, I don't understand. We have the same property, basically. Our property butts up to each other. You are are wealthy and I, and I'm I'm peasant I'm poor I can't nothing works for me he goes what what's your secret he goes you want to know he says yeah what is your secret he goes I go to daily mass he goes if you go to daily mass too you will prosper too and and that's you know and so the man went and he ended up you know changing his life and god blessed him a million times over and that's not the only reason to go to mass but it's a beautiful story and it's true and so i recommend you get books like there's another book called the incredible catholic mass and it's written by a capuchin franciscan called father uh martin von colchem uh c-o-c-h-e-m it is gold the book and uh he talks in the book he, t he goes over 
Uh, I'm going to just – I won't – I'll probably do some this week and some next week. He says 77 graces and fruits to be derived from devout attendance at the Holy Mass. Okay, so number one, for your salvation, God the Father sends his beloved Son down from heaven. Number two, for your salvation, the Holy Ghost changes blood and wine into the true body and blood of Christ. Number three, for your sake, the Son of God comes down from heaven and conceals himself under the form of the sacred host. Number four, he even abases himself in such an, ex an extent as to be present in the minutest, minutest particle of the sacred host. Number five, for your salvation, he renews the saving mysteries of the incarnation. Number six, for your salvation, he is born anew into the world in a mystic manner whenever Holy Mass is celebrated. For your number seven, for your salvation, he performs upon the altar the same acts of worship that he performed when on earth. Number eight, for your salvation, he renews his bitter passion in order that you may participate in it. I mean, each one of these we could talk about for a while. I mean, just look at look at number eight. For your salvation, he renews his bitter passion in order that you may participate in it. In other words, he, he wants you standing at the foot of the cross. And I tell people, you want to know what the Mass is? Everybody loved that movie. Most people did, called The Passion by Mel Gibson. I said, if you want to understand the sacrifice of the Mass, just watch that movie because if you get it in your head when you're at the Mass, that's what's taking place in front of you. The reenactment of, of Calvary, the crucifixion of Christ. And he wants us to be one with him. How do you pay our Lord back for all he's done for you? And this is how we do it. So number nine, for your salvation, he mystically renews his death and sacrifices for you his precious life. He sacrifices his life for you. For your salvation, he sheds his blood in a mystic union and offers it up for you to the divine majesty. Number 11, with the precious blood, he sprinkles your soul and purifies it from every stain. Number 12, for you, Christ offers himself as a true burnt offering and renders to the Godhead the supreme honor which it's due. Number 13, by offering this act of worship to God, you make reparation for the glory which you have failed to give him. Number 14, for, your, for you, Christ offers himself to God as a sacrifice of praise, thus atoning for your missions in praising his holy name. Number 15, by offering to God this oblation, which Christ offers you, give him greater praise than do the holy angels. So that, look at, that's a powerful leader. By offering to God this oblation, which Christ offers, you give him greater praise than do the holy angels. Number 16, for you, Christ offers himself as a perfect sacrifice of thanksgiving, making compensation for all failures on your part to render thanks. 
Number 17, by offering to God Christ's act of thanksgiving, you make ample acknowledgement for all the benefits he has bestowed upon you. Number 18, for, for you, Christ offers himself as the all-powerful victim, reconciling you to the God whom you have offended. Number 19, he pardons you all your venial sins provided you are firmly resolved to forsake them. Number 20, he also makes reparation for many of your sins of omission when you left undone the good you might have done. Uh, I'm going to continue this next week and we'll go on. But as you could see, the, the, the graces that come from attending the holy sacrifice to the mass. And so that's why it's important to recollect yourself if you're going to the Holy Sacrament. Say, what am I doing? What am I doing here? I'm here. I'm, I'm at Calvary. They're crucifying my Savior. I'm crucifying my Savior because of my sins. And I want to make reparation and atonement. I hear so many people, they say, Father, I don't like going to Mass. I get nothing out of it. I say, if you get nothing out of it, number one, you don't go to Mass to get anything out of it. We go to Mass to worship God as He has demanded us to and command and wants us to. And He deserves that in justice. And so that's why we should go. And worship is work. You know, it's some people, oh, can you go to that Latin Mass? I don't understand the English. You don't have to take up a missile with the English on, on the side. And you should be praying. The best way, way to participate in the Holy Sacrifice to the Mass, St. Pius X tells us, is to read the prayers along with the priest and unite yourself as an oblation with the priest who's offering you to God the Father. And this is what it's all about. And it's so, so powerful when you go to Mass and you start praying to Mass. You don't want to just read the Mass. You want to pray to Mass with your whole heart, your whole soul. And we have to pray. Pray to our lady. Say, Blessed Mother, please teach me how to stand at the cross because this is what the Catholicism, we're literally at Calvary. And there's a, and that's why I say you have to study, the, and we'll get into this deeper, but the Mass is brought, you're, you go through the whole passion of Christ, and it's and it's beautiful. And you stand at the foot of you're standing at the cross while the Lord's being sacrificed, and and it's very very powerful. Uh, one of the best books I ever read on the Mass is by Doctor Nicholas Gear G H I R on the Holy Sacrifice in the Mass. Probably one of a masterpiece. And you you got many saints that have written on the Mass too. So get these books, read this. And prepare yourself, and because that's what he has to say. So people aboard, people teach your children what they're doing, you know, when they go to mass. Because, you know, that's why I'm sorry, I'm not a fan of these cry rooms. Because I said, what are you doing with the cry rooms? So you're teaching your kid that for the first five, six years of their life, the mass is what about playing with your trucks, eating your Cheerios? That's all nonsense. I said because, and then all of a sudden, after all those years, they're going to want to be uh, good. No, so. Uh, and I'm sure maybe Max can give a couple of tips as being a father going to the mass, but this is a, this is it. And so really pray. If you can't go to mass every day, say, blessed mother can help me. Can I go twice a week? Can I go three times a week? And then I also know some, some, a lot of devout families sometimes 
like they both can't go, the mother and the father. So at least one of them will go. So like during the week, somebody's there representing the family every day. And, and it's really important. Like when you say you choose a place to live, especially today, my friends, uh, when you choose a place to live or if you have to move, sometimes the people, the last thing they consider is, uh, what church am I going to be going to? Is it a uh, liberal? Is it, is a Trinity mass there? And then they, then they make all these plans and then they find out, you know what? I got to drive three hours to go to uh, a Holy mass. And you don't want that because you don't want to be going to the Mickey mouse mass. My friends, you don't want to be going to a mass where, where the priest is greeting everyone. Good morning, everyone. Or I mean, you don't want to go to masses where they're clapping and playing the banjo and the guitar, jumping up and down, because who was doing that at Calvary? Who was jumping up and down, yelling, crucify him, crucify him? It was Caiaphas and his cohorts. And, and that's why that's not what we're supposed to be doing at mass. So you want to find the most sacred place, uh, a mass that's offered properly. And that's the beauty of the old rite. It's pleasing to God. That's uh, the priest is obliged to do it one way and only one way on the novice order you go every priest does it different everyone adds this one takes away that it's ridiculous but the liturgy is so so important and remember it's there that you're going to receive most of the graces for your salvation and that's why in the second consecration too of the of the precious blood you know, for years in the Novus Ordo, in the vernacular, they were saying that his blood was shed for all. And, that, and Council Trent condemns that. for the, it, it should be shed for the many. And called, uh, Pope Benedict XVI changed it back to the many because they, they make it very clear to Council Trent, when Christ said for the many, he didn't mean, yes, Christ dies for all souls. But in, in this prayer at the consecration of the, of the precious blood, it's for the many, and the many pertains to those who will be saved. It's really important. And so when you go to the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, the graces that will be poured out upon you are going to depend, number one, on many things. There's in the internal uh, efficacy of the Mass, the uh, graces of the Mass, you could say, is infinite in both the Novus Ordo and the Trinitine Mass. Why? Because, in, because it's Christ being sacrificed, Christ who is God. So it's in one sense, that's infinite value. But the external graces that come, now that's a set, that brings a whole other dimension to the Mass. And uh, so that depends on the building that you're in. Is it, does it look like a church? Is it or it's a ski lodge? It's a, a where, where you know these churches that they built today are just they don't look like churches. Like I say, they look like ski lodges. That cathedral in L.A. is a disgrace. They built that thing. It looks like it's from uh, Star Wars or something, you know. And well, and that and the, the ugly statues they have over it. I've I've sent a photo of one of the statues that's supposed to be of Our Lady. But, and I got this joke from somebody else and they said, oh, look, they put a statue of Ziggy Stardust over one of the entrances and people who would know that reference that I've sent this to say, like, oh my goodness, that is exactly what it looks like. And if you don't know what Ziggy Stardust is, it's a reference to one of the androgynous, um, trans type, uh, characters that Davy Bowie used to, used to portray in his music and concerts once upon a time. 
I had to look that up. I'm too young to really know the reference. I, I just had passed it along and learned this um, through passing it along. But it, it's grotesque is what it is. Just to let you know, St. John of Cross says it's a grave sin to portray Our Lady or, or his or her son in 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 an ugly fashion, basically, you know, because it's and, and like you say, you look at it's. I never forget there was a some writer. He did a review. He went to the cathedral. He was a traditional man, and he says, "Man, I one thing I could tell you he goes, man, the." There was uh, when you walk in the foyer, he goes, they had the best espresso bar that I ever been to. He said they had a turkey club that was out of the, out of this world. So, <laughs> oh, and I hear they have a great yoga club and uh, great centering prayers available too. Yeah. So believe me, please. Uh, like, there's many men. Sometimes you have to relocate. You have to do this. Please, I tell them make a map of the United States and uh or where you're going and then start looking where is the traditional mass you know i don't because you want that and if you could put yourself god says i will he will give you his your heart's desire if your heart's desire is to go to daily mass every day and you storm heaven uh some i believe somehow it will be worked out and but there's no greater gift no greater gift and uh just pray for it and god will give it to you pray for it and uh and like I said, it's important. So these external graces, the external form of the means, okay, so it's the church. Then the next thing is, uh, you know, the the priest. Is the priest reverent? Is he, does he wear what kind of vestments? He's wearing this cheap polyester nonsense or he's wearing beautiful vestments. All these things bring more graces to the mass, you know? Is the priest uh, reverent? Is he talking about profane things? Like the, I'm sure many priests yesterday in, in the so-called church were talking about the Super Bowl that was going to, uh, you know, be on that night. That, there's no place for that nonsense. Well, several, a whole bunch of uh uh, parishes, or at least one for sure that I know of, and I I would be very surprised if it was only one canceled their afternoon masses in the San Francisco area because it would get, would have conflicted with the Super Bowl, and to to the minor credit uh, of the 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 one announcement that came from the priest of the parish, he was saying that he canceled it because nobody was when when they were trying to get a hold of ministers, set that topic aside for another day whether or not it should be lay ministers, but nobody was volunteering. And so there, nobody was, was going to show up. So they said, okay, we're just going to cancel like the, the afternoon and evening masses because clearly everyone's going to be at home watching the Super Bowl. Yeah. it's uh, And this is, it, but this is, we all need graces to get to heaven, a big graces. And so where do you want to go? You want to go where you get a couple or you want to go where you're overwhelmed with graces. I had this one woman that I've helped and for many years and she started off when i met her she came to me she was in the novus auto and i gradually nudged her here and there got her and she came to the traditional mass and she described it this way she says father i you know i can't believe it she goes let me explain it this way the graces that go out you ever see you've seen a leaky faucet like in the house and you, you get drop drop she goes okay 
that's the Novus Ordo. So I was getting grazed there. But she goes, when I started going to Trinity Mass, I felt like you ever see a, a fire hose? A fire, if a fireman puts the hose on you, he'd knock you <laughs> across the street. That's how powerful he goes. She goes, that's how I, the graces was so extraordinary. And you could, you know, it's and it's true because all these things in the Mass. So, you know, the building brings more graces. The priest, if he's if he's reverent, brings more, and then it depends on the holiness of the priest. Now, I'm not saying all all traditional priests are holy. I'm not telling you I'm the holy, but you would get if Padre Pio was alive and you went to his mass or my mass, you know where you're getting more graces at Padre Pio's mass. Say, so the, so that the sanctity of the priest comes into play. Then comes into play what kind of vessels are you using? You know, are you using gold plated, which you're supposed to use precious metals because the, the, for the precious blood and so forth. Uh, the next thing comes into play. Uh, what about the prayers? So when you see the prayers of the new mass, they're so watered down. It's it's disgusting, and they talk about friendship with God and this and that. But when you read the old mass. Uh, it's it's so Catholic and it's all about sacrifice. It's all about Lord have mercy on us, wicked sinners. You know, we come before God in humility. So when we come before God, you remember in the Magnificat, he says he cast down the mighty from their drones. He lifts up the lowly. So when we go to worship and we're going there and, and you know, all we want to do is sing and dance and jump up and down. That's not that's not worship, man. So all these things, when they're done properly, bring bring more graces. So when the prayers, you know, the prayers of the church, they affect what they signify, you know. Uh, so the so when you're praying for something, that's what happens. That's what takes place in the prayer. When you say, "Lord, pour out your mercy upon us," that's what God's doing because you're the prayers. Those are the prayers of the church, okay. Uh, so it's, it's saying, pour out the graces, and God's pouring out the graces. Grant us a humble, contrite heart, O Lord. And so these things just keep on bringing more graces. Then, it, then you, then we could go. I could go on and on and on too. Uh, you know. Then you go. What happens? To, then you look at the people uh, that are coming to church. Are the people? respectful because you're not supposed to speak in the house of the Lord. That brings more grace. Are the people dressed modestly because you can't, it's a mortal sin to dress immodestly, period. But the way some of these women come to church, and I'll tell you, even in some of these traditional parishes, I draw them out. I don't let these women come in like that. When you go to, I don't give women like that communion. No priest should. So all these things brings down tons and tons of graces on on you when you go to a proper mass when you go to a mass and you get and you get up there and you got like six women on the altar with mini dresses dressing modestly so-called eucharistic ministers which there's no such things extraordinary ministers and i'm totally thousand percent against that nonsense because the priest's hands are consecrated, which means set apart for holy things, to feed the sheep, his sheep, Christ, not a lay person. And you wonder why people don't believe in the Eucharist no more. And, and you know, it used to be 75%, but it's a lot higher. And I said, I don't find it hard to believe because all you got to do is go sit outside in Nova Soto Church on a Sunday. And I seen one just recently. I couldn't believe what I saw. What what kind of people were walking in there? Shorts, flip flops, 
uh, I mean, kids bringing toys and pals. And I'd like, where are you going to the beach? You can't, you know, so all these things, my friends, brings more graces. So I don't know about you. If I was giving money out, I said, if you go over here, you get a dollar. You go over here, you get $10,000. Where are you going? You know, and like I said, uh, so pay attention, but try to make this part of your daily life. And when you go to mass, the greatest part is communion, holy communion, where you're in communion with our Lord. If you, he, he, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. You think our Lord is joking around when he says that? If you don't eat my flesh, if you don't eat my blood, drink my blood, you won't have eternal He means it. And so that is the most precious time. And then when you go back to your pew, that is the most. Our Lord, we know, is present for 15 to 20 minutes, physically, body, soul, divinity. And that is the time to petition. And that's the time to beg him for graces for, for your wife, your husband, your children, for yourself. The graces for salvation. And then you you want to become Christ. That's the whole thing, you know. We want to become what we eat, and you know, which is Jesus Christ. And so, if you start going to daily mass and you understand the mass and you pray the mass with the priest, it, you will never. It will be the greatest gift. So I pray that we could all do that, and then we could see how how the devil attacks the mass, especially the true mass. And that's what we could see. Uh, just another church, the cathedral in Tyler, Texas, the bishop just shut down the Trinity mass there. They're shutting down the mass everywhere. The true mass is being shut down. And this is going to happen. And, and the scriptures tell us. The scripture tells Look at recently, uh, uh, the Catholic news agency reported just recently, this past week, it said, recalling that in the 60 years since the promulgation of the Second Vatican Council seminal document on the liturgy, Sacro Santum Concilium, the Pope stressed in his February 8th address that liturgical reform underscores the Council Fathers' objective of renewing the Church's fundamental dimensions, such as spiritual, pastoral, ecumenical, and missionary work. And listen, he says this, without liturgical reform, there is no reform of the church. The Pope said, a church that does not feel the passion for spiritual growth, that does not try to speak in an understandable way to the men and women of his time, that does not feel pain for the division between Christians, who does not tremble with the anxiety of announcing Christ to the people is a sick church. And these are the symptoms. And he, that's the end of the quote. So what do I say? Get behind me, Satan. This is, let me just sum this up real quick for you. St. Alphonse, the great doctor of the church, I'm going to quote him. And this speaks, covers everything we're talking about here. He says, the devil has always attempted by means of heretics to deprive the world of the mass, making them precursors of the Antichrist, who before anything else will try to abolish and will actually abolish the holy sacrifice of the mass as a punishment for the sins of men, according to the prediction of Daniel, and strength was given him against the continual sacrifice. That's Daniel 8, verse 12. 
So St. Alphonse is very clear. The devil is always attempted by means of heretic to deprive us of the holy sacrifice of the mass. And it's true. And it's proved right now because that's what's going on. This church that he talks about is not the Catholic church. I'm sorry. You know, without liturgical reform, there is no church. Well, it turns out that since the so-called liturgical form, it's basically decimated the church, not the true virgin bride of Christ, but the church is, is before the council, the church was busting out of the seams. In America, the church was growing so quick, the Catholic church, that they said it, it would have, wouldn't have been too long before everyone would have been Catholic. Most, almost all the prelates in the church did not uh, was seeking uh, this uh, renewal, this liturgical reform. It was it, it's diabolical, man. The momentum for Catholicism in the United States was so great that we elected John F. Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, well, that that says a lot, and pray for his poor soul. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just unbelievable. Really, it's the fundamental dimensions such as spiritual. Is the church more spiritual than it ever was? <laughs> exact out pastoral. Their their idea of pastoral has you never convict sinners of their sin. You never talk about sin. Uh, they're not good pastors. They're, they're letting the wolf devour the sheep. Ecumenical the ecumenical movement is from hell. It's been condemned by uh, how many popes? And they're pushing this, this, it's all false ecumenism. The only true ecumenism is say, you know what? You're, you're Muslim, you're Buddhist, you're Jew. I want to I help you come into the true church of Christ, of God, who sent his son and, and go through the whole teachings because there is no salvation outside the church. Missionary work. There, was, there is no missionary work, Harley, in the church since the council. It's, it's the, the missionary uh, zeal in the church. How many people, as my, a priest, myself, had told me, I, I tried to come into the church numerous times. The priest told me I didn't, there's no need to do that. I mean, Pope Francis, he tells everyone, everyone goes to heaven. He says, God is not Catholic. I could go on and on about all his heretical statements on these things. It's disgusting. A church that does not feel the passion for spiritual growth, that does not try to speak in an understandable way to men and women of his time, that does not feel the pain for the division between Christians. He's the one that won't feel the pain. He's the one that's causing division. And, and, and he's the one that's supposed to represent the unity of the church. But he's dividing not only Catholics, it makes it's it's universalism. It's uh, it's 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 all from hell. <laughs> Unbelievable. He says, uh, "Who does not tremble with the anxiety of announcing Christ to people is a sick church." Nah, nah, you know he doesn't. This is not the church. This is the counterfeit church that he's promoting, and he's and he's. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So. My friends, we got to wake up. We've got to really intercede, uh, pray for, you know, the, the Blessed Mother intercede for us that this, the consecration of Russia will take place so that we could, so that the reign of peace will come. Because right now, once again, we're sitting on the verge of a world war and it's happened already. We've been at war for a long time, but whole nations are going to be annihilated. Whole nations. And then, I think it's getting late, but next week I want to talk about, too, another statement from Pope Francis. Uh, 
and he he's um you know i could t- i guess i could talk about it right and now we got some time so uh rome report that's a, a publication reports this that pope francis said recently i think it was january 24th he said this i have been a priest for 54 years this is a confession 54 years that i've been a priest i am old in these 54 years i have only once denied forgiveness because of the person's hypocrisy once i have only i have always forgiven everything even with the knowledge that the person will perhaps relapse my friends this this is nonsense and he's been he's been quoted before on this nonsense too that uh that you have to, the priest has to always absolve. He can't, he can't deny absolution, can't delay absolution. This is nonsense because the church has spoken definitively on this for years, for years. A matter of fact, St. Alfonso Gori is the doctor of the church for morals. Many souls are going to hell because of teachings like this that they have to be absolved. And let me tell you something. He even says he absolved, even with there's no hope for, for there's no sign that the person will, uh, would excuse me, even with the knowledge that the person will perhaps relapse. Well, that's not the way it is. That's not what the church teaches, my friend. And this is not mercy. This is not mercy. This is condoning people in their sins, forgiving people. It's just doesn't. It just doesn't work that way. So what's required of a penitent to receive this number one sorrow for sins with the resolve with the resolve not to commit them no more he must have or she must have a amendment of life so if somebody comes into my confessional and they tell me they use an artificial contraception and they told me they have no intention to stop in i cannot give them absolution i have to deny them First, but St. Alphonse is so compassionate. He he tells the priest what to do. You got to win that soul over for Christ. You have to dispose that soul. You have to tell show that soul that they're endangering their salvation. Because if they die like this in the state of mortal sin, they will burn in hell for eternity. But this is mandatory. Number two, they must make a complete confession of the mortal sins committed, species and number, we call it, in moral theology. So it has to be complete because there's many priests out there telling people all you have to do is mention one. If you commit a moral sin, you don't have to mention them all, just one, and it covers them all. That is not true. You will commit sacrilege if you do that. So you're obliged from your last confession, if you committed uh, species means different commandments, different sins. If you uh, so, if you have to name all the different species, so say you robbed a thousand dollars, say you committed sin of impurity, say you you robbed someone, you know all those. You have to name the different species. Then how many times did you do each one? Number, species, and number. And if you intentionally do, we're told that you commit a sacrilege. Now you're a thousand times worse going out than when you came in if you do it intentionally but i think a point should be made though especially if there are priests saying you don't need to say all your mortal sins just say one or two or one and that's sufficient that's going to fall back on the priest 
and it kind of inhibits the ability for somebody to have full full um ability. well here's the thing here's the thing max and this is where we have to be careful they won't commit if they don't know it you got to know if to commit a mortal sin you have to know what you're doing is wrong so they wouldn't be guilty of the sacrilege at that point but guess what they walk out of the confession still a mortal sin thinking that they're not so and this is where we got to be careful because i read a lot of comments sometimes i don't like to read comments on these wherever the blog is you're on because it drives me crazy sometimes and this there's a lot of people out there that think they're theologians and they're not and even the priests are not taught this properly today so that's true what max just said that the person if he did do but if that person knows that they have to uh do species and number and they don't because they give into human respect to the priest that's sacrilege on their part too and the priest part shame on those priests but you have to do species and number and this is why i'm going over this right now the next thing the third part you have to have is fulfillment of the penance imposed by the confessor therefore he needs to make a careful examination of conscience. So you want to make a, a careful examination of conscience before you go into confession so you get these things. Okay. So St. Alphonse goes on to say, how many men keep on committing the same sins over and over again and wonder why confession has not helped them? This is me. That's not even St. Alphonse. I'm going to quote from St. Alphonse. So I, I, this is a big problem today, not only with men, even women, but today with the pornography and the sins of the flesh, uh, these young boys, this son at such a young age, it's unbelievable because the internet is filled with poison. They're going on website. I've seen families usually what the father's doing is sins of a father are handed down three to four generations says in the scripture so if a father comes to me and confesses impurity looking at things on the internet uh, you could tell the next three are his sons because they're coming in there saying the same thing usually because it's handed down and so i've seen even beautiful kids trying to be protected by being homeschooled but the father goes on the computer at night and is looking at bad things and then once you go on an impure website like that pornography they start sending pop-ups and so i've seen so many young kids get led astray like this so but the thing is what he's saying that you have to give absolution even though there's there's signs that the person will relapse that's exact opposite you can't as a priest and so saint alphonse in the church talks about recidivists recidivists are those who have gone to confession and then relapse into the same or almost the same sinful habit with no improvement According to the common opinions, recidivists cannot cannot be resolved if they manifest nothing more than ordinary sorrow. That is, if they merely confess their sins and say that they are sorry and they do not intend to sin no more. It's not enough, saying. The reason for this is that a habit of sin relapsed into with no sign of improvement gives grounds to the suspicion that the penitents suppose sorrow and purpose of amendment are not sincere consequently absolution should be delayed for a time until there be a good sign of improvement so i i give i have talks on this on the internet where i go into deep deep detail and you it's important because so many men i talked to priests priests are frustrated said 
I, all my young men, tons of them, they're, they're committing solitary sin. They're looking at porn. They can't stop. I don't know what to do. I said, because they won't study St. Alphonse. They keep on giving absolution when they shouldn't. And let me make it clear. There's a difference between delaying absolution and denying absolution. Denying absolution is if someone says, no, I will not stop uh uh, stealing money. Uh, I will not stop uh, using artificial contraception. And after trying to dispose them, they still won't abandon it. After giving them a tour of hell, telling them what kind of punishments are waiting for them, you do everything to try to convert them. If they say no, then that, then you have to deny. But delaying is different. So you're not telling the recidivist, I'm not going to give you absolution, but I'm going to delay the absolution because I have to test your your disposition too because so many people don't have a proper disposition. And St. Alphonse tells the confessor uh, how to do this. So I want to go on what St. Alphonse says. With, so recidivist, he says, in this manner we must bewail the ruin of souls, the course of which is many bad confessors who absolve so many recidivists without distinguishing and these recidivists, when they discover confessors who always easily absolve them, lose their horror for sin and go on rotting in the sink of the vice until death. And it's true, my friends. I have, thank God, in the missions I've been doing so almost 25 years now, I've had men that hooked on this stuff 25, 30, 40 years, even 50 years. And then when they hear a preach, they know. I tell men, how many of you out there are on the verge of despair? You pray your rosary. You're going to confession sometimes even more than once a week because you keep falling. And you think you you receive the Eucharist after you go to confession. And you, and you say, but why ain't I changing? Aren't these sacraments supposed to work? Aren't, where's the graces from the Eucharist? Part of the problem is because the absolutions are not valid, most of them. Now, St. Alphonse says that if a person who's a recidivist comes to confession, there's nine extraordinary signs that the, the priest should look for. And he said you should look for more than one. And if they have it, if you judge it's, it, 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 it's good to give them the absolution, uh, then you could give it to them. But you have to have the extraordinary sign or signs. One of them would be like uh, like somebody's mother or father dies and and it really hits them hard. And I've seen that happen a lot where funerals are unbelievable. The graces that go out when, when people are faced with death that they don't want to face and a loved one dies. And so that could be an extraordinary sign where he could do it. But so, but he has to do this. He can't give absolution. He has to delay it. So St. Saint, Saint Vianney says this, Dear God, he tells the people, what sacrileges are committed? If in every dirty absolution there was but one genuine case, how soon would the world be converted? How soon would the world be converted? One in every 30, he said. If St. Leonard of Port Maurice said that in the missions he, that he did, he was a missionary Franciscan. He says that he 80% of the penitents had to be delayed absolution in his time. Okay. The church, Catholic Church, teaches various errors on moral subjects. Number one, 
condemned in the decree of the Holy Office on March 4th, 1679 by Pope Innocent XI. In Denzinger, it's number 1210. These are condemned proposition. I'm going to read this. The penitent who has the habit of sinning against the law of God, of nature, or of the church, even if there appears no hope of amendment, is not to be denied absolution or put off, provided he professes orally that he is sorry and proposes amendment. Right? That's condemned. And that's what Pope Francis is telling people. Oh, yeah, I, I, even if there's no sign of uh, that they're going to change them and mend their life. What's going on here? You know? So this is serious stuff. Another can, uh, and then in canon law, uh, the present canon law, which is very weak, number 980, says this. If the confessor has no doubt about the disposition of the penitent and the penitent seeks absolution, absolution is to be neither refused or delayed. That's, that's what it says. So in other words, it implies, obviously, that if I do have doubt about the uh, disposition of the penitent, okay or doubts i i can delay or oblige that's canon law that's canon law and so saint len paul maurice in this book and i recommend it max can put this up it's you could buy it to this day it's called uh, council to confesses by saint leonard port maurice it's phenomenal and in there he holds the same theology across that saint alphonse Liguori holds because that's what the church teaches St. Leonard says, signs that mark out the false penitent, whom no confessor can absolve without running the risk of disobedience to the decision of the church, which forbids the practice referred to in the proposition already cited. Okay? Nobody could. Number one, if the penitent was warned two or three times of the danger of his state by a zealous confessor, the penitent always relapses and perhaps even more frequently into the same sin and invinces no disposition given hope of change. So when you've got somebody coming to you as a, I'm a priest, you know, when once someone commits a moral, confesses a moral sin, I'm obliged at times to probe. And the first question I said, well, when was the last time you confessed this sin? Well, Father, I confess it every time I go to confession. Well, Okay, when was the last confession? Last week. When was the last? Uh, and what about? So yeah, every week. How long you been doing this? Usually, I'll say to him, "How old are you?" And I'll figure it out. Usually, it starts at thirteen years old normally. And they say, "Man, you, you know, yeah, that's how long I." I they, if they tell, say, "I'm 20, I said, "Oh, so you've been struggling with this at least seven years," <laughs> and it's usually true, but. There's no evidence. They keep on, they could cry or crocodile tears, but there's amendment of life. You have to have amendment of life. And let me give you an example. And I use a kind of pretty hard hidden example of this when I, I when I used to go to men's conferences and preach. I have hundreds of men in front of me and I'm trying to get this into their head. And I said, let me give you an example about amendment of life. God forbid you went home. And you went into your bedroom and you found your wife in bed with another man. And she begged you forgiveness and you forgive her. 
and you, you, you know, better or worse, you know, you're stuck with her and you forgive her and you understand that. And she said, I'll never do it again. Two weeks later, you come home, it happens again. Forgiveness, forgiveness. It happened, and she keeps doing it. And so I yell out to the men, is she sorry? And you got to hear when you have hundreds of men, no, no. I said, neither are you when you keep on looking at pornography. Neither are you that you go to confession, confess it week after week, year after year, and you're committing the same sin. I'm not telling you this to beat you overhead. I'm unlike Pope Francis, this is true charity because I want you to amend your life. Because if you die like this, and St. Alphonse says, as you live, so you die. Okay, he says a tree, when it falls in the forest, it falls in the direction it's leaning. If it's leaning to the right, it can't fall to the left. It's impossible with gravity when it breaks. If it's leaning to the left, it can't fall to the opposite direction. So I go on with penitents that are not disposed. Number two, if the penitent manifests no greater horror for the sin than before. Number three, if he had taken little heed of the remedies pointed out to him by the same or various confessors and seems no wise disquieted in having neglected them. And this is when the guy said, so what did the last priest tell you? Well, he told me to go home, told me to get rid of all the magazines. Or Did you do it? Well, no. I said, it shows me you're not serious. Like when I have to delay absolution, I give, I have a written paper. I they're typed out. I give them the remedy so they have no excuse that they forget them. And when they come back, the first thing I said, okay, what you do the remedies? Yeah. And, and sometimes they'll say, father, but you said I wouldn't fall if I do the remedies. I said, if you did them all, did you do them all? And they'll say, oh, well, no. I said, okay, tell me which ones you did. I said, all right, name the other ones. And they can't. I said, so you're not, you, you, your disposition is not proper. So the next one, if during the past he has always exhibited the like negligence, intent only on the indulgence of his passion and not making the least effort to restrain them, if so far from that by falling more and more frequently into his habitual sins, he has proved the little concern he has about his eternal salvation. Numbers five, if he comes to the confession only under pressure because it is Easter time or because his parents or his master ordered him to do so or because he has been accustomed to approach the sacraments every eight days or by reason of any other, any motive springing from human respect. And if he shows little or no disposition to change his life and fulfill the duties of a good Christian. You know, this sorrow on a natural level, because sin brings many consequences. It could it brings sickness, illness, it could bring depression, despair. So sometimes that's all they're sorry, but they're not sorry for the sin. Number six, if he excuses his faults, disputes with his confessor, objects to the penance, uh, you know, imposed on him, and by his indocility gives proof that he is incorrigible and obstinate in his habit of sin. And but you know what? When I get a penitent that's really pe sorry for his sins, and I tell him, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to give you absolution, but we're going to have to delay it. I give him the remedies. You know what? The ones that are disposed, they thank me. They said, Father, thank you. I know. And they're crying. They, and they tell me the same thing. These are tears of joy. I've been struggling with this vice for years. 
And I know what you're telling me is the right thing. I'm going to do everything you tell me. Those people come back and guess what? What joy, what joy that I get to participate in too, because I helped uproot that vice instead of letting the confessional be a continual revolving door saying three Hail Marys and you're on your way to hell and these despair. So this is, so this is what the saints teach us, you know? The next one, number seven, if there be perceptible in him a greater inclination to sin, a vicious propensity so marked as to make it evident that he is strongly attached to it, and if in consequence, despite his protestations of sincere sorrow for his fault in him, the confessor cannot in prudence but uh, put faith in him, but on the contrary has every right to conclude from so determined of an attachment to vice that there is no repentance in his case. And this is important. Uh, second of all, a priest, okay, even a pope, can't, a bishop, a cardinal, cannot absolve someone who's in a voluntary proximate occasion of sin. So if you're in a proximate occasion of sin, uh, you have to remove that occasion of sin. So you know what occasion any person, place, or thing that you fell before or you know that you're tempted to fall, you, you have to remove these occasions, especially if they're voluntary. So like if a man's sitting on his computer, I have to send him home. I can't give him absolution. You got to go home. Well, I need a computer for work. Okay, so you got to uh, delete any bad stuff on there. I want you to get a new server that doesn't allow pornography on. I want you to get a program that doesn't. And then you come back for absolution. But until the occasion is removed, you can't absolve them. Now, even if you're the Pope. And because you know what happens? The penitent, even if he's totally intent on going home, removing the occasion, when they go on the computer or they go to take the magazine, whatever it is, they see the image and they fall again. And I've, I've, I've had penitents tell me, well, I said, what did the priest, he made me go home and what happened? Well, he gave me absolution. I went home. I, I went to throw it out and then I fell again. And, and I can tell you this stuff is all from the saints, from the church. The church teaches St. Alphonse's the moral theologian, the moral theologian of the church and that any priest that follows him correctly cannot err. That's, a, that's from the sacred congregation. It's beautiful. And let me tell you, St. Alphonse is the most compassionate, compassionate man. And when you follow him, when you see these men that are set free, I could never go back and do it. Any I was fortunate because I had a, I prayed to the Blessed Mother before. If, when I'm, if I'm going to study more theology, please send me a professor that will teach St. Alphonse. And when I took my first vows, they sent from Rome a priest in my order, Father Alphonse Sutton, and he taught nothing but St. Alphonse. And I just can't thank him enough for what he did. And, and because of that and being faithful, I've been able to set literally at this point, I would say, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men, hundreds, hundreds. And I still get, uh, they keep in contact someone and they'll write me a letter Thank you, Father. Fifteen years ago, you you delayed my absolution. You gave me remedies that I practice to this day, and I want to thank you because I've continued. I don't fall no more. And it's when they come to you when they've been falling, they come crying sometimes. I can't. I never thought I'd be able to go 
even a day without falling, but I've been a week, two weeks without falling. It's beautiful. So when you delay absolution too, St. Alphonse tells the priest what to do. He says, now the first thing you're worried about, my friend, is that if you die tonight, you're a mortal sin, that you're going to go to hell then if you die in mortal sin. Well, normally speaking, if, if yes, if you die in mortal sin, you go to hell. But St. Alphonse tells you what to tell the penitent. And he says, you tell him, my son, but God knows your heart. I don't know your heart, but God does. So he knows if you're going to cooperate with me and if you intend to. So normally speaking, if you're going to do all the remedies that I give you, this is like a prescription, all right? You're going to do them. He gets you back here when we set the day, the time. And if, God forbid, something was happening, it was an emergency, and you're dying and, and you can't come back, he'd get a priest to come to anoint you where you are. And he says, and if the priest can't come to, uh, to anoint you, he he'll give you the grace then to make a perfect act of love, which would be the ultimate gift because then you go straight to heaven, not only get absolved, you know, all your sins is washed away, but it takes away all temporal punishment. So St. Alphonse has all the answers. And, uh, you know, maybe I could put a link to one of my talks on where I go in deeper detail. So the Council of Trent tells this, selecting a confessor is so important. In selecting a confessor, a priest who is recommended, he said, by integrity of life, by learning and prudence, who's deeply impressed with the awful weight and responsibility of the station which he holds, who understands well the punishment due to every sin, and can also discern who ought to be loosed and who to be bound. Who ought to be loosed and who ought to be bound. And I want to bring up, uh, let me uh, bring up... Uh, Remember, I recommended to everyone the Recolta, right? And uh, in the Recolta are indulgence prayers uh, that the church has recommend, novenas to saints. And in the Recolta, there's prayers for priests before they minister sacraments, after they minister sacraments, before they offer mass. And they all had indulgences on it. So here's a prayer to show you what the church what Alphonse teaches with the church. Now, these have been approved by for hundreds of years, the Recolta. So here's a prayer that they give a priest to pray before he goes into confession. I quote, Grant me, O Lord, I beseech thee, wisdom who sitteth at the right hand of thy throne, that I may know how to judge thy people with justice and thy poor with judgment. Teach me so to handle the keys of the kingdom of heaven that I may open to none to whom thou dost close and close to none who thou dost open. And let my intention be pure, my zeal upright, my charity patient, my labor fruitful. Suffer not in me either a leniency which is lax or a severity which is harsh. Let me never despise the poor or flatter the rich. Make me sweet to entice sinners into the path of virtue, prudence to interrogate, skillful to instruct. Give me, I beseech thee, heavenly craft to draw sinners from perdition, constancy to strengthen them in good, zeal to lead them on perfection. Give me, too, judgment in my decisions, uprightness in my advice, light 
in what is dark, sagacity in what is perplexed, success in what is difficult. Let me not waste time in useless conversations and let me not be sold by base. Enable me to save the souls of others and not lose my own. My friends, and that is a, a really beautiful, uh, beautiful prayer. It really is. And these, and, and he calls it, you know, give me, teach me to handle the keys of heaven, kingdom of heaven properly, that I don't close the gates of heaven to anyone that he wants open or open to anyone that God doesn't want him open to. So God, Jesus is just and merciful, but he's, you can't separate the mercy from the justice of God. And so I hope this has helped you. I hope some priests will listen to this and start to study St. Alphonse. And, you know, uh, you, you St. John Vianney said he didn't become a good confessor, uh, okay, until he didn't become a good confessor until he studied St. Alphonse. Praxis, and you could still get that book in English too. And so I recommend this highly. And I want to talk or lend with a story that Lent Port Maurice tells about confessions like this. St. Alphonse tells a story about this rich man, and he, he was committing adultery. And his wife one day said to him, You really think your absolutions are valid? That you keep confessing the same sins over and over again? And he said to his wife, shut up. What do you know? You think you're a theologian? My confessor's a theologian. You think he would do that if it's not right and this and that? I told him, shut up. So he died uh, not long after he, he chastised her. And so one day she was in the chapel praying. And this is a story by St. Lynn Porter Maurice. So I believe it a thousand percent. And all of a sudden when she was praying, this hideous figure appeared in front of her. And it was, uh, and she went to run. And he goes, "No, no, don't run!" And she goes, "Who are you?" He goes, "I am your 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 dead husband." And he was engulfed in flames. He looked like a monster. And she says, "She goes, where are you?" And he goes, "I'm burning in hell." And and who's that uh, carrying you on their shoulder? She goes, "That's my." He goes, "That's my confessor." He's in hell because he kept on absolving me from my sins, even though I didn't have a memento of life. And I and and he kept absolving me when he shouldn't. And I'm in hell because I kept committing the same sin and kept going back to him. So, my friends, I always tell people, you know, have mercy on us, poor priests. We have a soul too, and I'm go I'm not going to hell for no one. Uh, I have plenty of sins to make reparation for, but at a true charity for souls, we have to delay absolutions at time. We have to uproot these vices, and at times we have to delay. So, well, and I know from some of the questions that come in, I know a lot of people would love uh, that Father Isaac could be their personal confessor and and travel the country and and uh, give missions. It just isn't physically possible, and that's why it's so necessary to pray for priests. The priests you have, the priests that will come into your life at some point, the priests that you that may not even be born yet, who's going to be uh, your confessor at your deathbed, uh, pray for priests because Father could tell you, you probably face more temptations than we can even possibly imagine. I, I know as a, as a married man who 
works on computers <laughs> and and uh, is in, in the world, there's more than enough temptation to go around, but I can't imagine what it would be if I'm not just responsible for my family, but for dozens, hundreds, or thousands of souls. Well, put it this way, San Alphonse is clear. He says that one priest, one priest rece- receives more temptations daily than 100 lay people combined. So take 100 lay people, all their temptations, he goes, they'll get, the priest gets more. Why? Because the devil is smart. If you take a general down, you get the whole army. So one good priest, he says, brings thousands and thousands to heaven, but one bad one brings thousands and thousands to hell. I can't tell you how many penitents have come in my confessional and father and the priest I committed abortion. I did this, that they give me three Hail Marys. I don't even feel forgiven, you know. So a, one of the greatest gifts is a steady confessor. Because a lot of people like to jump around and like you could get confessor to approve of abortion today. I'm not obviously you get priests approve of homosexuality, you know, then now they they want to, you know, Rome's telling us to bless you don't bless homosexual couples. Uh, but this is it's bad, you know. So you could pre shop and let me tell you something. When you get out of that confession and you did that, you went to a liberal priest you don't have no peace. You don't, you're deceiving. If you would intentionally withhold sins from a priest, you know, you're not helping yourself. You're condemning yourself, you know? And, and so a good priest, I, sometimes I feel like a dentist in the confessional, I'm like pulling teeth. I've, I've got to pull these sins out, you know? And uh, because when you make a good confession, I want to be clear too. Uh, we're going to get into this more. I want to go, uh, a matter of fact, that, I'm going to be giving a talk soon on on how to really make a good confession, and and we'll put it up on the on the site. So I go into deep on what what is true sorrow, this and that. But uh, it's you want to make a good confession, but so many people come in, and what the point I want to get here is they try to disguise the sin, and sometimes it's because out of shame, because sin is brings shame, and rightly so. That's one of the way God wakes us up say you committed sin you know go cleanse yourself you know that shame that guilt it gnaws at you but the thing is be careful how you confess because i can't tell you how many penitents will say something and they tell me uh the priests don't question them ever and they'll say oh, i've been impure well that's not enough man okay i'm obliged then well how are you impure you know i did you know you, if you're very vague in your confessions of mortal sin, you're you're guilty. You'll be guilty of a sacrilege. You don't want that. You want the priest to know. And you know, Saint Augustine says this: Before, where, when the wolf goes after a lamb, where does he go? Where does he grab the lamb? By the throat. Why? Because he can't cry out. Because if he cries out, the shepherd's going to come, and with his with his crozier and beat the wolf off. And so he goes, when you go to the doctor, St. Augustine goes on to say, uh, what do you do? If you don't show the doctor your wound, he can't heal you. So when you go to confession, God knows your sin already, but you have to confess it. And don't let the devil grab you by the throat. Don't let him get you to withhold sins or to hide them. 
That's another problem. That's different than being a recidivist. That's just making bad confessions. And if you ever made a confession where you knew you committed, uh, say, a mortal sin, and this happens a lot with sometimes, uh, say, women who had an abortion and they just can't get it, uh, say it, and uh, they won't confess it. Well, all the confessions after that and communions are sacrilege or sacrilege. Once again, you have to know that, but some people have no idea of their catechism at all. But the thing is, you're obliged to confess it. And let me tell you, if don't hold anything in when you're going there. You will be so relieved, like a mountain coming off of your off of your shoulder. And good priest, he's filled with joy when not that you will live the wicked life. He's filled with joy, though, that the devil now his his chains are gonna be broken and you're free. And then you could put your head on the pillow at night and go to sleep and know, say, if I'm taking, you know, you know, I'm, I'm at peace now in my soul. And I've, I believe I've had people with told sins for over 50 years, over 50 years. I think the most I think I had was 60 years with holding a sin. And that's why when I preach my missions, I always say it. I say, there's people here. And I point I don't know. I said, there's people here, I guarantee, that have committed a sacrilege that has not confessed all their sins. And you know it. You had an abortion. You had a vasectomy. You did this. And I said, if today you hear the voice of the Lord, harden not your heart. Don't leave here without confessing. And you know what? It works because they come every time. Every time they come. Every time. And what a great joy. There's more joy in heaven over one repented sinner than over all the just. Yep. So, and you pray for that. Pray to Our Lady to give you a holy... And I'll give you a little tip. You know, you got a much better chance finding a good confessor in a traditional parish that does a Trinitine Mass than you do... I'm sorry, it's the truth. Uh, one of the great, you know, we all know the great crisis the church is in since the Vatican count, II Council, and the church is in shambles. You hear about the doctrines, the heresies, you hear about uh, all, the, all the problems, but never really do you hear about the problems in the confessional. One of the biggest problems is the priests haven't been trained right. That's one of the biggest problems. One, and so pray for you, Our Lady, lead me to a holy confessor. And 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 start studying yourself. Start getting yourself in shape. Anything else, Max? No, it just made me think about the the idea that um, a, a wise enemy will try to take out effective generals, but an even more wise enemy will leave the ineffective ones alone and make sure that uh, if he can, that the new leaders coming up aren't taught anything sure. of, of use and. Anybody who's looked critically at the state of the U.S. military can see we're in that situation now, but that is nothing compared to the state of some of the priests, unfortunately. I mean, they're still priests. They're still ultra Christus, and you need, we need to pray for them because they have the ability to give absolution. But well, look, look, look what's coming out of the Vatican, that uh, well, the, the Vatican is telling us that transgenders can be godparents, transgenders can be baptized if they're adults. And meanwhile, what happened today, I saw on the news, they went over all these horrible shootings uh, in churches and public places, and there was like eight of them they went over. Well, guess what? They were all transgender. All of them. 
and 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 I'm not out against them because there's 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 serious problems with that, obviously. And then you got then you got priests telling you it's all right and don't worry about it. No, 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 no. And we don't you don't beat someone over the head, but the truth sets you free. The well, you truth. made the comment. You made the comment earlier about people saying they, they they're given really lax or or weak penances, and they they feel like they they haven't been forgiven. And it made me think that well, God gave us a conscience for a reason. And if you're being mal, um, not informed correctly, or or not uh, instructed correctly, or 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 led how to reform your your life correctly. Your conscience knows this at a certain level, unless you've totally acted against your nature and, and blunted it. In the same sense that people who want to be something other than what they are, I mean, and, and act so violently against their nature, nature reasserts itself to a certain degree, even if it's only to drive you insane. Yeah, and you know, the, your conscience is—we call it the voice of God—and and this is. Uh, yeah, this is all this stuff is really important. And see, that's why I, I go in deeper details. No? Like St. Alphonse tells a, a confessor that when you say you have an habitual sinner, an habitual sinner is someone who's been away from confession, could be 10, 20, 30, 40, even 50 years, but they don't go to confession at all. They And then, like, you have to treat them, you know, a different way too, you know. So you normally, you if somebody's been away for like 20 years, you couldn't give them enough penance to do. So St. Alphonse tells the priest, this is the, how brilliant he is and how enlightened by God. He says, what you do with them is give them a twofold penance, the priest. He goes, a twofold penance. Number A, number or you know, penance A is mandatory. Penance B is optional, highly, highly recommended. So you want to make sure that what you give them, so, so mortal sin, you have to give decent penance, you know, at least the rosary, say a station of cross, and I do other, it depends what the sin is. But when you're way that long, so I, I say, well, can you handle, I, I try to find out what can they handle. I said, is, are you, do you know the rosary? Do you know this? Are they, oh yeah, well, okay. Would you be able to do this many? Okay. I said, is that, you sure? Okay, so I want you to do that. Just say, for instance, I say three rosaries. It's been 25 years of wicked sins. I said, but part B is optional. You understand what I'm saying? You have to do part A, but part B, and then you give them more penance, say, I recommend you do this, that, that. And then, you know what St. Alphonse tells the priest? The priest has to do penance uh, scourge himself, something, whatever he has to do for that penitent to help him make reparation for his sins. The priest has to do it, should do it, you say. So, like I said, St. Alphonse has all the answers. What brilliant, you know, you know who follows St. Alphonse besides John Vianney? St. Pio. He, he would follow only St. Alphonse in the confessional. Uh, so, this is a gift from God. You, you pray. The other thing, real quick, because I could keep on going on for hours about this, and it's really important that if you go to confession and you committed a mortal sin and you truly forgot to confess it, when you're absolved, you're forgiven. Because I always say to Pentin, are you sorry for these sins, all the sins of your past, even the ones you've forgotten? And, and they say yes. And then you give them absolution. All your sins are forgiven. But if you remember it next week, you say, you know what, I, I need to confess this. You don't have to panic, but the next time you go back to confession, you're obliged to say, Father, my last confession, 
I committed a mortal sin and I, I totally forgot to confess it, not intentionally. You're obliged to do that. And then the priest, one of the reasons is because he's going to give you penance for that then. But you were forgiven when you didn't do it intentionally, we're told it. All right? Well, thank you for all your support and uh, keep the prayers coming and and try to get keep up with the emails. And, and like I said, like Max said too, I know a lot of people requesting to be the spiritual director. You could only take on so much, you know? Spiritual director via AT&T doesn't quite work, right? Well, it, it does. I've have, I have some because, you know, for years somebody moves or something. It's always best face to face. Confession you can never do over the phone. That's forbidden. That's, it wouldn't be valid and you can't do it. But spiritual direction can be done. Uh, but, you know, you can only take on so many. And very few people are serious too. You got to, you, there's obligations on the spiritual director's part and the directee's part too, you know. So you have to be serious about that stuff. But the other day I want to say some of the questions are pretty delicate questions on, on say, the marital act and this and that. I'm not going to address that on the internet. Uh, but what I'll try to do is get in touch with the people privately, email them back, and, and I could take it one on one like that. Because uh, I don't want to be talking about certain things, because sometimes, uh, you know, even though people have no intentions, but if I talk about certain, it could lead people into bad thoughts. Even though I'm not sinning by talking about, so out of modesty, you don't talk about. That's why in the seminary years ago, all the sixth and ninth commandment was morals was always taught in Latin. You know, so uh, it's really important. You don't want to lead anyone into sin. All right. And speaking of the emails, the podcast email address is podcast at SOTI.blog. Emails to that address go to both myself and Father. But if you want to send an email just to Father, check the show notes. I believe the email address is father at SOTI.blog. Check the show notes and you can get the email address for sure. And that's all I've got. All right. You can bow your head for God's blessing. Pax et benedictio de omnipotente, Patri, Filius, Spiritus, Santi, descendus, super vos, emineo, semper, amen.